there! Welcome to Board Game Hot Takes, the podcast where we give our immediate reactions to the hottest board games just minutes after playing them. I'm Jen. This is Tim. And this is Adam. And we're going to give our hot take on the game we just finished playing, Everdell. Before we jump into a description of the game, I want to call out a listener who left us a really nice review on Apple Podcasts. Before I do that, though, did you guys know that Apple Podcasts in the United States does not share reviews with Apple Podcasts in other countries? That is fascinating, Tim. Unbelievable, in fact. Not just fascinating, <laughs> unbelievable and shocking, I would, I would also add. I had no idea. A listener reached out and said, hey, I left you a review on Apple Podcasts. And I went to look for it and no reviews to be found. Turns out he's Canadian. So I had to go find the Canadian Apple Podcast site to actually find this review. And it turns out there was a couple of reviews out there. So Canadians apparently like us more than Americans. Come on, America, get on it. Let's, uh, let's see some more reviews from the U.S. Apple Podcasts. I'm going to do some web scraping to figure out why that's happening. I'll get back to you. <laughs> All right. In any case, um, I want to just call out. Uh, so Jeff Milton is a uh, is a listener who not only left us a really nice review on Apple Podcasts, which, which I'm going to read in just a minute here, but he's also been reaching out to us on social media, sharing us with other people out on Twitter, responding to our... T- I love this. It's been so much fun interacting with Jeff, chatting with him online and you know getting to know some of the people that are listening to us. So Jeff, thank you. Wanted to call you out. Appreciate you listening. I hope you keep coming back. Here's what Jeff said on Apple Podcasts in Canada. As a working dad, I have to give major props to this podcast in particular because of the no-nonsense approach to giving the listeners their opinions of the board games that are still fresh in their minds from people who have the same passion for board games, but also differing opinions on what they like and don't like about the game they just played. This is the exact type of podcast I need for board games because what I want to know is simple. Do I spend time looking up the game they played or not? I don't like wasting my time playing games that aren't fun. BGHT gives me everything I want in a podcast. Unbiased opinions from three or more people talking about the important details of the games. I look forward to listening to more every week. Thank you so much, Jeff. That was a really nice review. And I just have to say that basically what you just said, that's why we created this podcast. It's the type of content we want to listen to for the same reason. So glad you're appreciating it and uh, hope more people find us as well. And, And thanks for doing that. Yeah, thank you very much. All right, so let's jump into a description of the game. In Everdell, you're competing to build up the most successful new city that will attract a thriving population of adorable critters. On your turn, you'll either place one of your workers to collect resources, or you'll play a construction or critter card from your hand or from the shared meadow of cards that will create one of the buildings or residents in your city. Played cards generally have an immediate effect, like gaining some resources, or they will have an ongoing ability, endgame scoring goals, or additional worker placement spaces for you to use. Each city can only have 15 cards, so players need to plan carefully about which critters and constructions will bring the most value to their growing city. Each player starts with only two workers at the start of the game, but after they can no longer take any placement or card actions, they can take a prepare for season action that will allow them to take back their workers, get one or two additional workers, and get a benefit of either reactivating some of their cards or drawing cards from the meadow depending on the round or season they are preparing for. The game ends when all players have finished taking all of their possible actions in the autumn season or fourth round. Points are achieved based on the point values printed on the cards in your city by some point tokens that can be gathered during the course of the game, by meeting some goals to achieve events in the game, and by meeting bonus objectives on some of your cards. The player with the most points wins the game. Everdell was designed by James A. Wilson and published by Starling Games. All right, let's get into the conversation. So Everdell is a game that I enjoy quite a bit. This was actually, it's kind of a special game for me because this was the first Kickstarter I ever backed when I was uh, really getting into gaming 
maybe early 2018 or so, if I remember right. January 2018, I was traveling. I was in Chicago, sitting in my hotel room, starting to get in the habit of doing my daily morning BGG check-in and seeing what games that I had set alerts on. And I looked at the hotness and there's this game called Everdell on there. So I click into it and it just looks beautiful. It's this world with all these anthropomorphic little creatures walking around in the city and started looking into the gameplay and just looked like so much fun to me. So I backed this game on Kickstarter. It was the first one I ever backed. Uh, you guys know my, my thoughts on Kickstarter. Usually it's a terrible idea. I feel like I really got lucky here, but let's jump into your thoughts. So Adam, let's start with you. Anything that stood out to you from a mechanisms perspective, mechanisms and gameplay with Everdell? First to save everybody a Google search like myself, anthropomorphic is a little creature that looks like a human. <laughs> yeah, so this has a nice little tableau builder, combo builder is kind of the, I don't know, the main hook of this game. I thought the gameplay was great. So you're looking for combos, cards that sync up, and you're you're doing that by doing this worker placement and resource management. At first I was like, oh, you know, it's just going to be the same old thing. But no, the cuteness was there. And then I did like the gameplay, comboing up those cards, finding a little engine and making it work. So that was probably my favorite part that stood out was, especially as a first time player of this game, I was able to sort of sort out a little engine and get some sort of strategy and direction going. So that stood out to me as a first time player. Nice. Adam, you want to talk a little bit about the engine that you found? Like what were some of the critters that you, the things that, that kind of worked together for you? Right. So I had a, a card that let me count every critter, every common critter at the end of the game for an extra point. I think it's a school, maybe. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think that's right. And then I had another card that let me count every unique critter at the end of the game for an additional point. I had a card that let me destroy structures. So what my plan was to do was build some structures and using those structures, get the free critters, build up my critter, and then destroy all those buildings, build different structures and bring in more critters. So I could just populate my city with critters only and get rid of all the buildings. So I don't know what kind of city, <laughs> not very livable city, <laughs> just lots of people. Tent city. Not many places. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was my little engine I had going. Yeah, that's what that's what I love about this game. There's a lot of unique cards in the deck. There is, um, I don't know how many, 150 cards or something like that. And they're not all unique. There's some of them, there's two of, some of there's three of, there's a few that have you know, four or five or six of, but there's a lot of unique and different cards in here. And the way that they kind of work together and combo together, it always feels like a different game. Before I ask Jen about her thoughts, you know, one of the things I think that leads to all of that comboing is the fact that there's a lot of options available to you. When you start this game, there's eight cards in that meadow tableau that everyone can use, kind of like a shared pool of cards. And then everybody's got a minimum of five cards in their hand to play with. So you've got 13 cards to start planning with and thinking about and working with. And then they start shifting as people buy things from the meadow. There's more available of you as you use them out of your hand or draw new cards. It changes things up. So this card, the game just really presents new options and the way that they all just do completely different things. It's always a fun and, and different and challenging puzzle every time. What about you, Jen? Anything that really stands out to you in the game player mechanisms that you really like about Everdell? I like the multitude of mechanisms that are involved in Everdell. I think, think about it. It's, it's card drafting. It's worker placement. It's tableau building. It has so much going on. But what I found unique about it this time is that it got exponentially better for me today. And I've probably played it a half dozen times with Tim and his family in person. And I struggle with the online component. We know that, you know, having to, to play with all the pieces and, and click on them. But I, today I saw that bigger picture. It was just by Steve simply stating something that I had never noticed before, that this truly is 
an engine building game. And I had never looked at it through that lens before tonight. And so about a fourth to a third of the way through the game, I started looking at this game in a different lens and it changed the entire gameplay experience. And maybe had I seen that from the beginning, I would have, I, I do believe I came in second, solid second at that. But I think that I would have had a fighting chance to win this game had I thought about that component from the very beginning. And so when I would say to someone who's playing this for the first time or the second time, or maybe even the fifth time, like, think about it from this lens that it is definitely an engine building game because I did not look at it like I think about Whistle Mountain in that way. This time it was really different and really enjoyable. I thought I was thinking a couple steps ahead because I always tend to get stuck in the fact that I cannot put my workers where I want to. I can't put my workers where I want to in this game when I play it with two people. I can't do it when I play it with three people. And it's been confirmed that I can never get my workers in the place that I want them to go when we play with four people. So instead of getting stuck in that, I was looking at it in a different way where I was playing a longer game. And I don't know, I had a lot of fun tonight. I was playing the store. There was a storyline to it for me. And so... That's awesome, especially after like the second and a half round where you're like, I'm just checked out. I don't even care. I'm just planning to come in last. So that's a pretty big shift from that point. I'm glad to see you got your revival. That that Red Bull must have finally kicked in that you... Uh... <laughs> you're, I mean, you're 100% correct because I, I was stuck in that mindset where I was like, I can't... All these people are getting my way. Like first Tim would put his worker in the place where I wanted to put it. And then Adam's had the Adam's first time playing tonight. What was Adam's theory through the first couple moves? Try to try to win. I'll, I'll fill in the blank. <laughs> no, Adam's move was I'm just going to do exactly what Tim just did, right? So we have Tim doing what Tim just did, and then Adam doing what Adam just did, and then Steve going rogue and apparently doing a decent job on it, and uh, opening up mental doors for me that I didn't know were in this game. And then I had to really come up with a different game plan tonight, and so I did. At first, I went with the frustrated, I'm tired. <laughs> Just tell me when this game is over, but then as soon as the, the lenses on my glasses change. That's always a valid strategy. <laughs> always a valid strategy. It was fun. It was good. So wait, you said this game told you a story tonight. What story did it tell you? Well, I mean, well, I mean, where do you want me to go? Do you want me to be serious about it? Do you want me to just talk about Costco for a while? <laughs> would... <laughs> Why can't it be both? Why do I have to settle? <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's a fantasy game it's you're building a city and I don't think I had taken the theme seriously before tonight. Again, I'm just playing it to play it. I'm, you know, frustrated in person that my eyes are getting old and I can't read all the little text on the card and it's too far across the table. But tonight I got to actually develop the theme in my head. And I, I did, I, I was literally building just farms and just what are the little green things? Production. Little production buildings. Yeah. It was production crazy on my board tonight. And so, and then, you know, I was collecting resources like they're going out of style, but I was collecting mass amount of resources. So then on the side, every, anyone who's ever listened to a podcast I've been on knows that the social aspect is a lot of fun. So all of a sudden the resources are coming from Costco because they're in mass. <laughs> and then we're talking about the toilet paper shortage in my palace. And I just thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I, and it's so funny too, because like right at the beginning of the game, as I'm teaching a couple new players, I'm like, so by the way, guys, a, lot, a common strategy when someone first starts playing is buy lots of production stuff because it feels good. You're just 
just going to fill up your city with production stuff. It's not going to be worth enough points. And what does Jen do with her next six cards or production cards? <laughs> I don't know, Jen. I, I don't know why I even ever try to help you. But I came in a solid second. Not like a, like a, yeah, you did. Oopsies. Uh, it was, it was way back there second. It, it was, I feel like <laughs> had you not cheated and we had to put that asterisk at the end of your score. And uh, had I been engaged the first two rounds, I would have blown this one out of the whatever. It, she did come in much better position than my overpopulated, very little infrastructure, kind of stinky, smelly city. So that makes We did. Sense. You had an Airbnb, though, in your city that we visited quite often. That was the one thing that all the workers in town supported. And that's about <laughs> all they did. So this is a game that I have now played. I think I'm at 107 plays if I've recorded them all or something like that. So I think it is my most played game of all time. I obviously really like it. I've I've had a great time playing it two player, three player, four player. My daughter, my who seven at the time when I think I taught her, played it with me. So my seven-year-old to now nine-year-old daughter has played it with me. My wife likes playing it one-on-one. Always been fun. I played a lot of solo as well. I played a decent amount of solo games with it. And I was a play tester on the last set of expansions that came out. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about the expansions later in the podcast, but I've had a lot of uh, time with this game. Every single game is a fun one for me. I want to circle back to what Jen mentioned. The thing that I think really brought me into the game when I first read about it and learned the mechanisms was the fact that it's a combo of things, right? Worker placement is a is a mechanism that I've always liked in games. And I talk about a lot of worker placement games. But James A. Wilson kind of combined worker placement with a card engine building game. And this was fairly unique. I, I hadn't seen this done before. Now we're starting to see a lot of games this year, you know, Lost Ruins of Arnak, Dune Imperium where people are combining worker placement with deck building. This was kind of a cool mix. And, and this feels a lot when I when people talk about Lost Ruins of Arnak, my first thought is that sounds exactly like Everdahl to me. The idea that you're you know working with these different resources, you're working with your hand of cards or the cards you can buy, you're working with your workers to, to get resources and you're just taking and optimizing as many turns as you can. In fact, Jamie Stegmeier has even said that Everdahl was one of his inspirations for tapestry and just the general flow of the game. And I love the flow of the game. I love that it's just about trying to do as much as you can with every round that you can. So I really like that he, he combined these two mechanisms in a, in a cool way where it doesn't feel like really a worker placement game, but you have to rely on that to do some of the stuff you're trying to do. So yeah, I like that. Uh, Adam, anything else that stands out to you? This was your first play. Obviously a lot of big experience gap between my experience with it, but what else did you think on your first play? It was enjoyable. I had that just pleasant feeling of going through, like I could find a strategy and I did things that made sense and comboed up and I did get those little dopamine hits along the way. So it was a very pleasant game and the whole theme. So maybe I'm getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but the whole theme tied into that pleasantness of the game. As far as mechanisms go, I don't have anything else to add on to that. John, anything else from you for mechanisms? No? Okay. Well, not not a whole lot to say from you guys. I mean, I think I could speak about it for a while, um, but I'm not going to just ramble on. A couple other quick points here. You know, aside from the worker placement and the tableau building that you're doing, and it really can be a fun, different engine that you're doing in every game, you know, the, what you end up building in your, in your tableau. There's a little bit of a race element. There's these events that are out on the board that kind of drive you to say like, hey, if I'm the first one with three red cards in my city, then I can grab this event before someone else does. So you're kind of watching those things. And then there are these special events, which are always, uh, at least in the base game, it's based on two unique cards, if you can get these two cards. And so it's always fun to me to be like, okay, I know what those eight critters are that you're trying to hit at the top. Oh, this one came up, I'm gonna grab it just in the hopes that later in the game, the other one that matches for it will come up and I can try to hit that special event. So it kind of adds a little bit of a, 
a puzzle that's evolving throughout the game you're trying to go to. I will say that that puzzle for me today changed because this was the first time I'd ever played with four people and it became more of a race. It became more mm. like the drafting component was bigger for me. Um, and the race to those special uh, end game bonuses became a different part for me that I'd never really played before. They kind of just sit there because, you know, there's only so much to do and not everyone's necessarily going after them. But today that, that played a big part. And I, and enjoyed that in a different way. with a two-player game, you can see everything that's going on on their their game board so much easier. With a four-player, you really have to track all that, and then it becomes a, like a, a mental acrobatic that's a little bit tougher, and then when you're successful, obviously, much more fulfilling. So I want to add on to that and talk about kind of the different, that leads to this question, what are the different paths to victory? I feel like they, this game offers a lot of different paths to victory, and then I wanted to ask you, Tim, as a veteran player of this, do you kind of have to focus on one of those paths to to make it work? Or can it be like a blend of the different paths? No, it's it's really a blend here. I never like try to focus on one specific thing. What I do try to do is find, if I've got a card in my city, I try to optimize it to the fullest and make sure that I'm using it for whatever it is. There are some cards, like a production card that lets you tr- turn in wood for points. So if I've got that card early, I make sure that I've got a way to collect wood and set that aside during the production phases. So I'm turning all those into points. If I've got that chapel in the chaplain, I don't know, whatever the guy is that goes in the, in the chapel, but that I'm hitting it early, I'm getting the points on there, getting the cards for it, and then playing the preacher or whatever it is that gets you points. Is for it the shepherd? Shepherd. Thank you. Thank you. That's why I could remember because what a strange name for a, a pastor. Anyway, yeah, it's just about kind of finding... The, the right mix of this is the card that I've got available to me. How can I optimize it? And then this other card came up. I have to make a decision now. Do I want to continue to focus on the plan I was doing or do I want to go after that other thing and grab it? So it's it's always just kind of watching for that right optimal moment to pivot, kind of change your strategy, just being as, as flexible as you can and, and trying to find like when I look at this game now after playing it so many times, I look at a card and I say, I know exactly what the value of that card is by the end of the game. I know exactly how much production I'm going to get out of it. I know what the end game score is going to be. I know if it's a purple card, potentially how many points I can get out of it. And then I can make that valuation really quickly and say, that card is worth more to me than this other card. So, you know, that's that's kind of how I play the game right now. But I do think that there's no one strategy to go on. I, it shifts for me every single game. So Everdell, for you, you're like one of those guys that looks at the computer and sees the matrix. <laughs> You can see through Everdale and you see the numbers and the figures and you can turn those into in-game points or in-game production or whatever it is. Luckily, these cute anthropomorphic animals are much better to look at than a bunch of green lines going (laughs) on the screen. So, What about you, Jen? How many times have you played and how has, have you noticed the different strategies that do you have to focus on one? Are you able to blend or how does it work for you? Uh, For me, I think it's the the points on the cards and maybe you can put it into better words for me, but that's the piece I think that I play probably pretty poorly right now. And even tonight when I said I I had a better experience, I think that I don't look at how the cards are going to affect playing other cards as much. And so those end game scoring, as well as just the the points on there, if you have something else that goes along with it. So again, that comes back to the engine building that I wasn't even aware that this game was that until (laughs) several hours ago. No, I I think it's worth noting that Jen said, Jen said she had a really good experience at four players. And my favorite way to play this game has always been at four players. I haven't gotten as many opportunities as I wanted to. Most of my plays have been at two or three. I still like it a lot at two or three. Four just 
seems so fun to me because the puzzle shifts so rapidly and there is more competition for the events. There's more, there's more opportunity even to get the special events. Now, some people have criticized that about the game, like lower player counts, it's too luck-based. I disagree. I think that you just have to understand that you can't sit there and hold out your strategy for one card to come up because you may never see it. But I do think it's more fun to watch that puzzle shift more rapidly in a, in a higher player count game. So it shifts a little bit. I like it more at four, but I still really like it at three and two as well. Well, let's uh, talk about the production of this game. I think there's a lot to talk about here. So Jen, what stands out to you with the production of Everdell? You played, we played tonight on Tabletopia uh, as we're playing most of our games these days, but you played the physical production. What do you think about it? What stands out to you? The two things, I think it's cute. I think that's what this theme comes down to is that it's cute, it's adorable. Enter whatever descriptive word you want to put there that makes you kind of go, oh, and that's how Everdell feels to me. Uh, the critters, the little, uh, the workers for the worker placement part are are nice, would feel good in the hands. I don't have a clue what they are, so I normally put a name on them, and then Tim will correct me as to what they actually are. So maybe he'll hand me a dragon, and it or it's a dragon in my head, and then he tells me it's something completely different. There's nothing that looks like a dragon in those people. <laughs> there are many little dragons, uh, Maybe right? the turtle, so... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The, you're talking about the lizard? Like the... <laughs> Like a salamander? Maybe it was a salamander. Oh, the axolotl. That's what you're thinking of. Yeah, that's an expansion one. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Well, today <laughs> they told me I was a hedgehog. So I'm not sure. I was just a brown little like like poop looking thing on the screen that ran around. And so brown <laughs> is not my favorite. Someone took red for me. It's cool. I'm pretty sure it was automatically generated. And I'll forgive the computer and or the human that did it to me at a later date. Definitely day. automatically <laughs> generated. Definitely don't click your color at the beginning of the game. <laughs> The component quality on this is really nice. The resources are, are my favorite piece of the entire game. So the resources that we have are the, the twigs, the pebbles, the resin, and the berries. I think the pebbles are phenomenal. They just, they're really smooth. And the resin is neat. It's, you know, it's, it looks like a little jewel in that sense. And so I like both of that. So they're fun to collect even in you know, small amounts or in Costco size amounts, depending on what your approach to the game is. So Tim, you have the actual production here. So I was going to jump in before you, before you say your piece, but just from what we got on Tabletopia tonight, the artwork is cute. I want to look at the map. I want to, I want to explore the tree and it is like Jen said, it's freaking cute. I want to hold those pebbles. They look like they're been washing up shores at some luxurious sandy beach. For years and years and years it looks so smooth and shiny the production from what i can tell i haven't actually touched a thing so that's why i'm jumping in before tim but it looks amazing well we'll go ahead we'll put some in the mail and then you can you can have them for your zen moment you just keep them in your hands like a stress relief thing and then you can send them <laughs> back in the mail so fair that sounds great do it just like bleach wipe them before you put them back in the envelope and <laughs> I'm 50% vaccinated, so I'll bleach wipe them 50%. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. No, listen, high quality components are not a brand new thing, but I, I think Everdell raised the bar a few years ago when this production came out. And I've, I've seen more and more games, especially kickstarted games where, you know, they can put a little bit of higher price on the on the first run, have been increasing the production. But these components are, to me, just spectacular because the little wood twigs, you know, they're just little, the, the original version was little round sticks, but they looked like twigs. It was cool. They, they had a problem with rolling off the table was the only problem. And they fixed that in, in more recent versions. But then the resin is just these little uh, plastic jewels. And th those have probably been used in other components, but they work really well. But the two that I love, the stones, the pebbles, as you guys mentioned, 
they feel like little stones. They feel like if you're walking down a creek bed and you pick up a little handful of little washed stones that have been running through water for 200 million years to the point where they're just little shiny, poly- they, they feel like real actual stones and I love them. It's probably my favorite resource component in any game of all time. And then the berries are squishy. You know, they're these little pink berries and they're actually soft little rubbery things. Really? They're rubbery. It's it's awesome. So they did, they knocked it out of the park with just making the components feel thematic and feel like you're not just looking at wood bits. You actually feel like you're holding the components. Tim, what's your take on the tree? I heard lots of complaints. Oh, the tree gets in the way. Tree does this. What's your take on the tree? Yeah, the tree is completely unnecessary. Um, it's cool. I mean, it's fun. It's, it's a table presence, but it gets right in the way of a more than two player game. But here's my take on it. You don't have to play with it. It's, it does not need to be on the table. It's not, it doesn't fill a function. When I play, when I teach the game for the first time and I'm playing with people that have never seen the game, I set the tree up, I give them the full presence. After the first game, or if it's a four player game, I just don't even put the tree out. You don't need it. it it's not necessary. So don't not buy the game because you think the tree's stupid. The game's a, it's a, it's a good game. I mean, if you're going to like the game, the tree doesn't have to stop you from that. You don't have to use the tree. The other things about the tree and the production really quickly, it's made out of cardboard. So once you take it apart and put it together a dozen, two dozen times, it starts to fray. It starts to break apart and stuff. Starling Games makes, and I think you can buy it on their web store still, but they make a wooden version of the tree and it is awesome. So if you want an upgraded, if you're going to use the tree and you want an upgraded component to it, it's worth the 20 bucks or so to, to pick it up. Does it, what does it have? Just some little drawers and compartments to hold the stuff in place? No, it looks, it's exactly like the cardboard one, but it's, it's like made out of kind of a thicker balsa wood. So think of like the old balsa wood airplanes you would get. So, but it's, it's got a beautiful um, screen printed like paint on it. So it's a brighter, shinier version of the tree and firmer, you know, so it's, it holds up really well. So I love that I've got it for the occasional time that I'll pull it off and introduce a new player, but it's completely not necessary. Quick question. I did not get introduced to the tree until like maybe my third or fourth time playing, if not more than that. So I don't think that's true. Is that the red carpet treatment that I get? I don't think that's true, Jen. If I remember right, I think the only time I pulled it out actually was for our first game. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that I intentionally brought the tree out for our first game. And let, but but again, I maybe I just didn't have it with me because I don't keep it in my base game box. So that might have been the issue. I might have brought the game in a place that I didn't have it. So. Don't don't blame me for that. I, I thought I introduced you on the first time, but I could be wrong about that. As the resident <laughs> person who has, what, 7,894 7, pictures on my phone, I'm confident that I can time and date Great. stamp and prove <laughs> you wrong. <laughs> All right, going to go ahead and prove me wrong. All right, well, anyway, that's that's what my, th- my take on the tree. If you, if you don't like it, leave it in the box. You don't need it. It's totally fine. The one thing the tree does have is for each of the kind of rounds that you finish, it tells you what you get at the end of the round. And so the tree does show that on there. It's a shame they didn't just put that on the board somewhere. And actually, it, there's an expansion that came out later that is intended to give you a separate board that replaces the tree. And then it has the iconography on there. It's not really a big deal. I mean, it's listed in the rule book and it's really easy to remember once you've played once or twice. So I think that's the one thing that the tree actually offers that is any value functionally, but just don't play with it if you don't like it. Beyond that, I want to talk about the card art because um, you mentioned the art, Adam. It's even better in person. Andrew Bosley's Little Critters here is his world that he created. It's it's awesome. I absolutely love it. The the box is is beautiful. Every one of the cards is beautiful. There's just really not any better card art in a game that I can think of than this one. 
nothing else that Andrew Bosley has done since then has, has blown me away quite as much as this. So he made a great first impression with me and I'm continuing to watch for what's that next thing that just like blows me away like the Everdollar does. So he did Tungaroo also, is that correct? Do you know what else he did? Yeah, he did uh, Tungaroo, he did Tapestry. Tapestry, he did, I think Merchants of the Dark Road is, an, is or something like, I think it's Merchants of the Dark Road is another Kickstarter that's going to be delivering a little bit later this year that he did. Yeah, he's he's been in a lot of stuff. He's been doing a lot of stuff lately. Jen, anything else that stands out to you with production? I'm not even sure if this is mechanisms or production, but I think it's just acknowledging that there are four seasons and that is very thematic. Yeah, and you look at it and you get these two workers for your first season and then you get another worker and then two workers in your final season. Gameplay is exponential, the time on each season. And so you get through that first one and even that second one pretty fast, but maybe you aren't necessarily prepared for how long the game is gonna end up being based on that. But then at the same time, your moves snowball right so you're building the the machine the mechanism that you're building now snowballs and so you're not restricted to just the worker placement or the card taking and putting it in your your city at that point in time and so there's a lot to do especially in that last season and so that's kind of neat how it just snowballs it's almost at some point for me it's almost hard to keep up. It's hard to keep track of in that last one because there's so much going on. And so my brain's pinging everywhere and uh, we're, I'm building that city at that point in time. Whereas I think the city definitely just kind of sits there without its identity until um, that last round when so much happens. Yeah, I think that's it, it, that would be a gameplay or a mechanism that we would speak about, but I, I'm happy to bring it back up. I think it's an important one to call out. Um, and that is that, you know, I, I explained briefly in the rules description but everybody doesn't have the same number of turns necessarily in this game. They all have the same number of rounds, I guess we'll call them. But basically, after you take your actions, you're either placing a worker, playing a card, or you're doing the prepare for season action. And everyone gets to do that prepare for season three times over the game. And when you do that, that's when you get all your workers back. And it's really great that you call that out because when you first start the game, you've got two workers, no resources, a hand of cards. And most of the cards require at least two or more resources to play. So especially when you first start playing the game, it feels like you might get one card out on the table before that first round ends. And even as an experienced player, sometimes that's the case. But there are good cards for the first season, and then there are cards that are not optimal. And I've had games where I can play three or four cards in that first season with just those two workers to start with. But in any case, it, it's, it feels like you cannot do anything. How are you ever going to get 15 cards in your tableau by the end of the game? But as Jen mentioned, I mean, we ended up in a situation tonight where Steve, he had his tableau filled up before he even went into the fourth season. You know, he loaded up with a bunch of stuff that maybe wasn't as valuable as it, as it should have been. But he ended up into the final season and just throwing his workers on that throw two cards away for two points track because he just didn't have anything else to do with them. So it's pretty amazing that when you start out so slow that you can do so much by the end. It, it, it definitely has a unique flow to it. I want to put on my Chris perspective here and talk about how the mechanism ties into the theme. Each city can kind of prepare for the next season at a different time. So what if one of those cities, you know, is in Canada and falls coming a little bit earlier than the city mm -hmm. down there in South Florida? You're hanging out <laughs> in summertime until November. And so each city moves through a different season or has the potential to move to a different season at a different time. So I kind of like that, that not everybody has to go to that next season simultaneously. That's, that kind of ties into the woodland 
creatures living in different parts in different cities. That's, so that's kind of neat. It's so funny when the Kickstarter was actually happening and they had the rule book, like the temp rule book out. I remember at the time it, it didn't used to be called prepare for season. It used to be called like change season. People were so hooked into the theme of the game that were backing the Kickstarter that were all excited about it. And they're like, but that doesn't make any sense. How can you change season at different times? So you literally changed the wording on it to make it more thematic to fit in because of that comment. Okay. But I do think that the, the game is really interesting in that with all of the mechanisms that are going on here, it does feel very thematic. I mean, the the story is that the ever tree is getting full and the king's saying, hey, you guys go out and build new cities. We need to we need to build cities to extend our population. So the competitive players are all supposed to be different critters that are out there building cities. And they bring a couple little workers with them. And the first season, it's hard. They got a couple workers working hard. They can't do much, but maybe they've just built a little building. But that building, maybe that farm they built, well, that drew in a farmer. So that farmer card comes over and he'll stay in your city for free. But then you can prepare for the next season. And another worker joins in. He sees you're developing city. So another worker joins in. And now this season, you're going to build a courthouse in your city. Well, now a judge, he's got a, he's got a place to go to work. So he's going to come join your city for free. But if you hire an architect, you got to pay him food. If you don't have a crane there for the architect to come and work with, you got to pay him food. So it's, it's really cool how the all the little things that are happening in this game, all the mechanisms, there is a story that can be told and you can fit this all into a really interesting thematic tie-in. Well, you know, the stuff that we were talking about with Chris last week, and that was one of the things that was important to him, how mechanism ties in with theme. Everdahl, I think, does it on every point. Sometimes you maybe have to stretch just a little bit, but but I think it does a really good job of it. I think that's the enjoyable part is filling in the gaps. Well, all right, so my salamander, whatever his name is, he gets to hang out outside the city. That's because he's on top of this outlook. So the outlook, if you look at it, it's perched at, at very top of your little city or on top of some tree, and it has a little salamander dude looking out over the forest and over the meadow. So yeah, he's like outside of your tableau there. He doesn't count as taking up a spot in your city. So just another little tie in that was pretty cool. Yeah, t- yeah, tons of them, tons of them. All right, sounds good. Uh, you know, other than that, the one last thing in production I'll call out is just that the, the game board is cool. It's unique. It's a, it's a unique shape. It's not even, it's kind of roundish, but it's, it kind of, you know, fits with like where the berry trees are. They stick out on the board a little bit. And this ties in really neatly because the all of the expansions that have come out for the game, they kind of slide into the sides, the different sides of the board, and they extend the art on the board. And the art, the board itself is cool because it's got artwork that just goes through it and just fits thematically in with where you pull resources from and, you know, where the action spaces are and everything like that. I just I just love everything about the production. Okay, were you guys seeing the Bob Ross sideburns and fro if you look up from above, look down on it? Or was that just... <laughs> I missed that. <laughs> Totally did not see Bob Ross there, but <laughs> if you look hard, you got the sideburns of the pro. It's Bob Ross and Tony. All right, nice. All right, well, let's jump into what are some favorite, what, what are some moments that were memorable to you tonight? Um, Jen, why don't we start with you this time? Anything that stood out to you as a moment tonight? Well, my big learning moment was exciting, like the aha moment that it's when building a machine, right? And that, that it's about the waterfall effect, I guess. I'm not sure what I'm looking for, the word I'm looking for there. Cascade effect? Cascade. Yeah, thank you. So I think that was a big moment for me. And then again, it was fun when we we talked about how Adam had an Airbnb and his, what was that? The inn? The inn. Yep. The inn. So the inn was an Airbnb. The mass amount of resources was a Costco trip. And it was just, it was, it was a, it was a fun, it was a, it was a fun game to name, but there was definitely not one moment. I thought it was a really consistent game 
that everybody was, you know, talking out loud about what they were doing. And so that was an interesting part of it too, to hear kind of everyone's internal thought process and where their brain was getting all electrified based on what they were going to create in their minds. I thought it was neat. It was just a really social game and interesting and fun. And I liked it. I'll jump in here. I, I had a couple things that stood out to me. One is that I was really worried when Steve started his game, it started really rough. Like he um he he played the chip sweep in the first round, which is a completely useless card at the beginning of the game. He he used a worker to get three berries for it, and then he played this thing with the three berries, which doesn't give you anything when it's in your city by itself. It also doesn't do anything on product in production on its own. So he basically wasted like his whole first round doing that. And I'm like, oh man, Steve's going to be so disappointed, you know, halfway through the game when he starts to realize what's going on here. And then he ended up turning into this like amazing resource generation engine with his courthouse and his judge and his historian. And to the point where he he didn't win the game, but he did really well. And he ran, you know, like he basically was able to just kind of do all this stuff in the game. So where he had to turn the move into the next two seasons really early before us, he was by far the last one to go into the la- into the fourth season. So it's really cool that this game really does let you find opportunities and take advantage of them and work with them. And it was cool to see that in action, especially for he's played it once like several years ago or a couple of years ago. I taught it to him, but he didn't really remember how to play. So for someone who's basically a new player to come in and find those opportunities. And then, Adam, you said you know, that you also found some, you know, really that you had fun, you know, you found some cool combos to work together. And I saw you work in those combos. So that was fun for me. Anytime that I'm trying to teach a game that I know really well, I feel like I have to play everyone else's games. And I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't telling you guys what to do, but I'm always like watching, oh, Adam, you sure you want to take that space? Because there's a better one over here that you may not realize, you know, or, you know, Jen, don't forget, you got to, you know, you've got enough guys to take this event card. So do that. I'm excited to play this game again with you guys four player game with some experience where everybody knows the game, you know, the mechanisms and I can actually just play the game and get competitive with it. And you guys, you know, have a better understanding of the flow and you can play competitive. I'm excited for that game because I've played this game with some people that knew it well and got competitive with it. And it really, really shines at that point. I think you guys will find that there's a lot more fun to come out of it um, at those future moments, but still had a great time from a storytelling perspective, Jen, since you mentioned a couple I love that you built up like six production cards in your city. And then the next thing you dropped in there was a palace. So it's like all these like little farms and little production things that would be outside on the fringe of the city, you know, the little manufacturing plants. And then all of a sudden you dropped a palace right in the middle of the industrial uh, zone there. And then all of a sudden your city starts to gentrify like crazy. I mean, just uh, (laughs) hilarious uh, little thematic tie in there. What about you, Adam? Any any specific moments that stood out to you? No specific moments, but a specific, you know, the cuteness was the specific thing that stood out to me. And Jen touched on it. This game is just adorable. The little cards are so cute. And you you buy these little structures, you build them up, and then the little critters decide to move to your little city to help out and you get little points for them and stuff. So just that whole mechanic and trying to feed these guys with berries and just the sheer cuteness of the game stood out. And that was that was fantastic. I don't know if you guys noticed too that the the critters, if you want to play them, all the critters only take berries for payment. That's what it seemed like. Well, that's the only resource you can use. But all the constructions, of course, are either wood or resin or stone. So it's also thematic that that's the only use for the berries. Once you get to know the game, it's like I don't even want to get any berries because I, I hopefully am never actually paying for critters. I'm just playing them for free. If you're playing the game, right? right? So. 
got a fun uh, theme there too. All right, cool. Well, um, let, let's ask, would, would you request to play the game again? Jen, you said this was one of your favorite plays of this game at this point. So what do you think? Would you, would you still want to come back to it in the future? Yes, this is not a game that I like to play repetitively, whereas I might say want to play Castles of Burgundy back to back. I do like it and I would definitely request to play it again. I think what it comes down to is that the theme is delicious. The artwork is gorgeous. The component quality is outstanding. It starts simple and it gets complex, right? So enjoy, sit there, ground yourself, and then put your seatbelt on because you're in for a ride. I think that I can't wait to play it again. Right on. What about you, Adam? This, to me, depends a lot on the table. And I have a couple of things I want to talk about here. I guess when I say a lot on the table, a lot about who is sitting at the table. And if they are gamers that aren't necessarily looking for a competitive fight or you don't want to ruin anyone's night, this game is going to make everyone so freaking happy and everyone's just going to have such a good time around that table looking at the art and finding their little ways to make engines and get little combos. So if that was the audience that I was playing with tonight, absolutely, I would request this game. That kind of reminds me of one of the things that makes games fun to you is you want everybody at the table having a good time. So I see how this game fits that mold and you broaden my scope with your last introspection from the last episode. So I think that's kind of neat. But if I'm looking for a more aggressive, some kind of something with a little conflict, this doesn't have really any of that. It has the worker placement, right. ceiling worker placement spots. So yeah, depending yep. on the audience, I would I would totally request this game. So it's situational. Yeah, for me. yeah, okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, as I mentioned, I've played it over a hundred times. I still love the game. I still have had a great time playing it all the time. I am I'm, you know, having a harder time finding fun in teaching it to new players because it is hard to just know a game so well. Um, and, and, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, just like destroy people. And I didn't, you know, you guys all did really great tonight. It wasn't like it was that far off, but I haven't lost the game in months. You know, I played with Jen, I played with Danielle, with the whole group tonight. So for me, it's just hard for me to, this is why we haven't played it so far on the podcast, just because I haven't wanted to bring it in because it's not a fun game for me to teach to somebody new at this point. That being said, there's a lot of great expansions for this, and I want to dig into those some more. I haven't had much chance to explore those very much, and I think playing with the expansion content, which would be new to me, would also change things up for everybody else. So I'm excited to explore this a lot more with the expansions, and I'd love to get it. Once we're back to playing in person again, if I get a local group, I get a few people that dig this game, I'd play it over and over with them again, and I think there's a really fun competitive game to play here. So I, I'll definitely be asking for it again. I think there's a lot, uh, a lot to explore. So Tim, it gets a little boring being Neo in the world of Everdell. <laughs> ah, man. Yeah. You, you got all the matrix, uh, links coming in tonight. I don't know why I'm going matrix tonight. So much green. <laughs> <laughs> right on. All right. Well, be, before we wrap up at, uh, with the whole conversation on Everdell, I think there's one, one thing that I think is worth talking about here. If you guys can humor me for a minute, I've had a lot of people say, what expansion should I get? I've got Everdell. I like it. What's the next expansion should I get for it? So I actually, I have the unique you know, honor of actually having play tested a couple of the expansions. I got reached out to by uh, James Wilson, the designer at one point, uh, just because I was pretty active in the forums on BoardGameGeek. And he said, hey, you know, you seem to, you know, know Everdell pretty well. You play with a lot. You interested in joining us to play test. So I play tested the Belfair and the Spidercrest expansion. And that was after I had already been playing a little bit with Pearl Brook. So I know those three expansions pretty well. And I thought I'd just give my my really quick thoughts on them if, if somebody knows the game and is interested in, in kind of expanding the world. 
first of all, the Pearlbrook expansion, when that was the first expansion that came out and when the Kickstarter came out for it and they kind of explained the expansion, I knew that that was not an expansion that was going to be a great one for me. So I, I got it because I just wanted more in that world. What the expansion does is it kind of changes your focus on the game. Like I think building out your tableau and finding those combos in the in the tableau is the most fun part of it. And Pearlbrook kind of changes the focus. They replaces the basic events with these really expensive monuments, I think they're called, that are worth like 10, 15, 20, and 25 points at the end of the game. And they take a lot of resources to do. So it kind of pulls the focus away from building out a tableau to you know, trying to find ways to generate lots of resources and build up these big monuments. And I just didn't find that. I didn't think that was going to be fun. And personally, I haven't found it fun. Now, where I do think Pearlbrook is a great expansion, and if you have a couple of very competitive players that want to change up the strategy, that changes the game quite a bit. So I, I think that there's some fun to be had there. It's not the one that I would suggest to go with. I would say skip it and move on. Uh, Belfair is an expansion that gives you, it adds five and six players. So you can play up to six players with the Belfair expansion. It adds a cool little market mechanism where you um, can put a worker in this market and you can take one of these little tokens that's worth some, some resources. Then the next person that goes there has to trade some resources in for that token and they get points for it. So there's this cool market that happens in the game where there's some great resource spaces, but then they go away. Other people can trade stuff in and get points for them and then they're available again. So that's kind of cool, but it adds more. That's, that's how you kind of fit five and six people in there is you just give them more market spaces. And then it also adds unique critter powers so that for each type of meeple you're playing with, you know, in the base game, you can be the squirrels or the mice or the hedgehogs or several other, the turtles, but they don't do anything different. They're just different little meeples. So this adds little unique player abilities for each of the meeples. So depending on what meeple you're playing, you're, you're going to get a different player power. And that's really fun. It's, it just adds a little puzzle, little separate puzzle. And I did a lot of play testing on those when we were, when we were testing the expansion. So I got to, tr to, you know, try all those out. They're very balanced. They all add a little bit of a different change to how the game plays. And then the, there's a couple other things that come in there, but the uh, Spire Crest expansion is my favorite by, by far of the published ones. Spire Crest does a really cool thing with an expansion is that it, it adds a lot to the game, but it doesn't get in the way of the base gameplay. Basically what happens is during Spire Crest, when you do the prepare for, for season action, you get to do a whole bunch of other stuff. You get to build a separate tableau of cards. You get to kind of move and make some different decisions. So there's there's a, a few different mechanisms that are happening during the prepare for season action, but they don't stop you from kind of playing your normal game. The one thing that it does add in there that I think is a turnoff to some people is it adds each season has a different negative effect at their weather cards. So basically in the first season, it might say like every every critter you play costs one more berry. And then a different random weather will come up in the second season. It might be like you can no longer take any basic location actions. So it adds some negatives. To me, it's a fun puzzle to work around. I think some people are turned off by the negative, the roughness of those things. But I think it's a really great expansion. I really want to explore it and, and play with, with some people competitively in that. So are there any expansions that add a little more conflict? Like, can you send a uh, diseased little mole over into somebody else's city and have it infect <laughs> the city? Or can you... Can you fertilize the forest more in that region so it'll overgrow and remove spots from their tableaus or anything like that? Not not drastically. So the, the Pearlbrook expansion actually does have the pirate ship. So you can actually send a pirate ship into somebody else's 
city. Ah, okay. I forget exactly what it does. You get some resources and then it takes up a space in their city. There's opportunities for them to take it and move it around on you though. But uh, So nothing that'll turn the peaceful Everdale into like a root style. No. <laughs> but I'm, I'm feeling that. Like I think that you're going to dump some toxic waste and then magically those <laughs> salamanders, right, are now fire breathing dragons, but they're really teeny. So they can get into your stuff and things. This is why we can't have nice. This is why we can't have nice things, you guys. You guys are. You guys don't even deserve Everdell. <laughs> we are. We just. We. It's Everdell after dark. Is what we just developed. You're welcome. Tim is talking so sweet and serene about Everdell, and here we are throwing like rocks at the cities and destroying everybody. All right. Well, I think that better wrap up our conversation on Everdell. Um, we'll talk about some things we're excited about in gaming right after this. All right, welcome back. So let's talk about some things that we're excited about in gaming this week. Adam, what do you have for us? Anything that you've been playing or thinking about? Yes, the Kickstarter from Contention Games. Imperium, the Contention, designed by Gary Toretsky, who we had on the show, arrived a couple days ago, and I got a chance to play it a couple times. And this game is pretty cool. In my first few plays, which I probably wasn't playing totally correctly, despite reading Gary's brief strategy guide in the book, it was fun. It was a very tactical, at least this is my first impression, a very tactical game. There's a lot. It's almost chess-like. You get your ships out there, and they can do different things. So you're kind of looking at the board of how your ships can move and how can they can attack and what they can defend. And you got to choose the right time to attack, the right time to pull back. you got to manage your resources. And it's, it's fun. It's swingy, at least... In, our, in my first couple plays, again, only two plays. It was a very fun, beautiful game. So just a big picture, it's like a space 4X. You gather resources, you use your resources to pay for your ships or your actions. So kind of an action management. And then at the end, you have your ships all set up on the board and you do a little combat phase at the end and see what blows up and what survives. And then you repeat and do the whole thing over again. Kind of nice flow and a cool looking game. Did you uh, did you just play like kind of a two-handed test game or did you actually play with somebody or solo? Or yeah, I got to play just two player. Um, so two two player games. That's, it sounds fun. I mean, what are your, what are your initial impressions here? Like, would you say, did it meet your expectations? I think it did. It, it did meet my, I want to explore it more. The, um, so there's, I believe five or six different decks, different factions, and they all have different abilities and powers, so asymmetric. But you get to know those decks as you play them more. You start with five cards and a deck of about 30 to 40 cards, something like that. You might not necessarily see every card in that deck. So just the different synergies of those cards working together is pretty neat. And how you can attack another player's you know, deck with what they have and how they can attack you and then how you can counter that. So it's, it's a very nice back and forth it's a different than any kind of game I've played, and it's I want to definitely explore it more. All right, awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to play that one because, like you said, it does it it looks and feels different than anything else I've played too. I can't quite picture how that is actually. I, I watched the gameplay of it, you know, but I, I haven't. I can't picture how it's actually gonna flow and how it's gonna feel to play it. So, very interested to try that yeah. one out. Cool. What about you? Uh... Tim, go ahead. Yeah, so I just will call out really quickly. You know, we've been talking a lot about Luke Laurie lately on the show. We we inter- we um you know covered Dwellings of Eldervale, which I was really excited about, and Whistle Mountain, which is another game that I really enjoyed of his. And I just thought, kind of out of the blue, a couple of weeks ago, an announcement came out for his latest game that is going to be released really soon, and that's called Cryo. And this is another worker placement game, which seems to be Luke Laurie's thing. 
but I can't even complain because I happen to like worker placement and I've really enjoyed the kind of unique things that he's been doing with it recently. So Z-Man Games is putting this game out. Z-Man publishes two of my favorite games, Gaia Project and A Feast for Odin. I think they do Euro production just perfectly fine. Like, you know, they, they just kind of, without going crazy with it, they just put together a really nice package. And Cryo looks like no exception to that. Before anybody sends Tim a nasty email, uh, yeah, Capstone Games is doing the latest Gaia Project. So, but Z-Man was the original. So before anybody sends mean emails at Tim. Very aware of that. Hopefully Capstone Games doesn't mess up Gaia Project. But um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, I understand they're not changing the production at all. But yeah, anyway, Z-Man was the, the producer of Gaia Project. But this, feel, this has a similar kind of feel. It's actually got a really, you know, kind of unique and cool artwork style to it. The worker placements are actually little drones, these little plastic drones that you're sending out to different spaces. There's some kind of a multi-use card mechanism that's going on here. I don't exactly know how the game all plays out, but the production looks awesome. What I'm reading about it seems really interesting. So I'm really excited about it. Z-Man's putting out, a, I think, a pre-order right now. I think you can go and pre-order it on their site. If I didn't already own about 50 other worker placement games, I would have already bought it. But as it is, I think I'll wait for a little while and see if I feel like it's going to feel a lot different than something else I've got. But it does have me interested and in, uh, it looks like a really cool little package. All right, John, what about you? Anything else going on for you this week? Tim, it's a big weekend this weekend. It's an important person's birthday this weekend. Oh, that important person is me. And so <laughs> as a result of that, our families are going to go up to Flagstaff and look for some snow. And if we can't find real snow, we're going to find some man-made person, human-made snow. And we're going to enjoy ourselves where it is slightly cooler than the 75 degrees that it is down here in Phoenix metro area. And so I do hope that we engage in some gaming this weekend. I want to play Orleans again. I thought that was a lot of fun. And you know, for my birthday, what am I going to want to do? Play games I have already played. So my brain noted, has to noted. work so much. And it's my birthday. No Castles of Burgundy mentioning yet? <laughs> I, I mean, well, Adam, I know you haven't sent me a birthday present yet, but if you wanted to get me the non-20th <laughs> anniversary edition of Castles of Burgundy, I'll be happy to send you Tim's address so that you can send it to him and he can give it to me. I'm going to tell you something really sad, Jen, actually. Danielle and I looked for the non-20th anniversary edition of Castles of Burgundy for you for your birthday. Oh, no. It's out of print now, oh, it looks yeah. like. You can't you can't find it for like less than 70 bucks. So Gin is worth less than 70 bucks, too. Got it. <laughs> Loud and clear. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's not about that. It's it's about that that box is just not worth more than like $25. So I just would feel bad paying more than that for it. For right now, I think you're stuck with the 20th anniversary edition of it, is all I'm saying. Well, there's a lot to unpack in that statement <laughs> right there about my value. There is a bit of mourning over the fact that that doesn't exist anymore. But no, I want to play um, some games we played recently, like Orleans. I really enjoyed that. I thought that was great. So I want to get my my knights and my monks and my Scholars, cheese, yeah. farm, cheese farmers and people that collect silk. I want. <laughs> I'm excited. I like that game a lot. Yeah. I thought it was a lot of fun. Like it was. It was. You know, I had a difficulty, but it was still. It was a neat game, and I love Artemis Project, so I hope that's on for this weekend. And the new one we played that is a little weird, but the theme is super fun, Santa, Santa Monica. Monica. I mean, yeah. Did you see, I got, I got the physical production of Rajas of the Ganges, the Dice Charmers as well. 
and Danielle and I played it the other day, and it's a blast. So yeah, I think I think we'll have to get some of that played. This I want to see as the well. elephant. I want to see the elephant in person. So that'll okay. be, and then someone will have to score for me. Undoubtedly. Okay, so I feel like we need to do a little follow up because we covered this on an episode and we all raved about it. Great gameplay, game, gameplay. That doesn't change at all. I got two big complaints about the game now. Now that I have the physical production, one is that the first player token, which is this little elephant that you assemble it's cardboard pieces you assemble it doesn't fit in the box assembled uh which is ridiculous i mean it's not it's not that huge that they couldn't have made the box just a tiny bit bigger you literally have to take the whole elephant apart in order to put it back in the box every time so that's annoying so frustrating yeah i may just leave it out of the box going forward instead of and it just wears down the little edges every time you have to put it back together like i don't want to sound like a nitpicky old man like get off my lawn but you got to take that thing apart, put it back together. Like if five plays into it, it's all frayed. You can't really, it's not standing up. It's just collapsing. Frustrating. Well, it's exactly what we mentioned about that, the Everdell tree. And that's what happened with it, right? So until they make a wood um, replacement elephant for Rajas of the Ganges, I think I'm just going to have to leave it apart or leave it together or, or not play with it. I don't know. But anyway, that was one complaint. The other complaint that I have is that the, we, we played with pencils, you know, like use pencils to write on the paper and the colors are dark enough on the sheet that it's actually really hard to see what your pencil markings are. So I think we'll try like little uh, dark Sharpies, you know, like little tiny uh, thin point Sharpies next time and see if that helps a little bit. But so that's a complaint against the game or a complaint against the scorekeepers or who's that? <laughs> you can't see them. What are you just saying that I'm getting old and my eyes are no good? No, <laughs> come on. man. <laughs> no, I mean... You guys can just go and grab pins or crayons or something, right? Like, yeah, for sure. I like, but yes, I guess I think rolling right. I think pencil because in case you make a mistake, you can erase it. So now I know better. We will not use pencil. Oh, we right. will not use pencil again. Um, but anyway, I could see that. Okay, yeah. Too- I was like, you really <laughs> talking about complaining about the game and not having a dark enough pencil you can use? I get it now. That makes a little more sense. Anyway, um, two two minor complaints. Still a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to playing some more of that. So sorry, Jen, uh, to, to jump. Out. I'm I'm planning to bring that game into your birthday weekend as well and see if I can get a play. That's my, that's my thought. But. Awesome. So Jen, will you turn in like 29? Yep. Yeah, right Why not? On, right on. That sounds okay. good. Pandemic <laughs> living has served me well. I am now 29. Rock and roll. It must have been a good vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that will wrap up our episode today. If you uh, want to talk to us about anything that we discussed today, feel free to reach us, reach out to us on social media. Uh, otherwise, until next time, take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me. Oh,